If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. We're on vacation. The Lord moved on my father's heart for us to do today a message that my father originally wrote and, pre and preached in 1980. It's hard to believe. And it's amazing that Father God is mindful of what we say and what we preach. Jessica leaned over during the first service and said that that's both a good thing and a sobering thing, that our Heavenly Father is mindful of what we say. But it lines up with what Jesus said, that we'll have to give an account of every word spoken. And I would encourage you later this week to watch or listen to my father's message from the first service. Today, on Father's Day, we're dealing with the atonement and we're dealing with God's love, Father God's love for us, his love for a sinful world. The price of our sin, the price of our salvation was not cheap and our salvation was no easy task. And so we have to understand the price that was paid for our forgiveness and for our salvation. Daniel 6, beginning in verse 1, it pleased Darius, and he was the ruler of the kingdom. And, you know, there's, we live in a time today, I, sadly, there are young ministers I know my age, and they, they actually say things like, well, God can't and God won't judge America. And it breaks my heart. I think, do you not read your Bible? One of Billy Graham's daughters said it best, Ann Graham Lott, she said that if God does not judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so just a little biblical history, God, the prophets, by the Lord, repeatedly warned the Israelites to serve God. They refused. And so Israel, the northern kingdom, was eventually conquered by Assyria, one of the most brutal nations to ever rule the ancient world. Judah did not learn from Israel, and so eventually Judah was conquered by Babylon. And so Daniel, other young Jewish men and women, that generation, they were living in exile in a foreign land. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So Daniel, in a foreign land, did not compromise. Daniel, in a pagan, wicked culture, with pagan, wicked laws, all kinds of wicked things going on, did not compromise. And so, by the hand of God, he was promoted. He was one of the three administrators at this point over the entire kingdom. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel did not compromise, and Daniel was also a faithful man, and Daniel was a man of excellence, so he was promoted. Verse 4, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. So Daniel was a righteous man. He lived a righteous life. He lived a holy life. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for 
charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of God. So they plotted and they conspired against him. Just in the past week, it's been in the news that it apparently now is policy in the armed services of our nation to discriminate against people from conservative states for promotions, to discriminate against Christian people for promotions. You know, we've not experienced persecution in this nation like Christians in other places around the world, but as the Lord continues to tarry, there is persecution coming. And so we have to steel ourselves to be who God has called us to be, to be salt, to be light, to not compromise, to let our light shine. And no, we don't go looking to pick fights, but on the other hand, we're not going to compromise. So they plotted, they conspired against Daniel. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or any man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. So they could find no basis on which to accuse Daniel beyond him being faithful to Yahweh God. Verse 8, now O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And we don't have time to cover it all, but to give just a little brief synopsis, the Bible is clear, Old Testament and New Testament. Paul wrote in the New Testament that we are to live the kind of lives that we not be dependent on anyone and that we have a good report even among those that aren't saved that don't know Christ. The Old Testament, the New Testament is clear that we are to be good citizens and we are to obey the laws of the land so long as those laws do not conflict with the law of God. And that Old Testament, New Testament, when we're asked to disobey the law of God or we're asked to do something that would violate or contradict the law of God, then we disobey. There have been those in just the last hundred years use terms like civil disobedience. We obey God first and we honor the law of God first. And that's what Daniel did. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So he did not submit to man's law when it violated God's law. And no, he wasn't making a show of prayer. It was the Middle East. It was hot, no air conditioning. So he liked to pray where there was a breeze. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den. The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Verse 13, then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the, the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. 
When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. He favored Daniel. He had a loyalty to Daniel. He did what he could do, but it was not enough. Now, not everything in the Old Testament is a type and foreshadow of Christ, but many things are. And much of the Old Testament points to Christ. There are those that they think that they can save themselves by being good enough. And even though America is becoming rapidly secularized, there's still the idea in our nation that if you're born in America or born in the Bible Belt or born in Texas, that makes you a Christian. That's not what makes you a Christian. You can't save yourself by just being born in a certain place or being good enough. Laws had been broken. And in this world, laws have been broken. In this world, God's law, which is the law, and God's moral law has been broken. And so a price must be paid. Someone has to die. Someone has to go to hell. Daniel had violated Darius's law. And this was a serious offense because the law it was in fact a death penalty offense. Like Adam and Eve, Daniel knew about the law and Daniel chose of his own free will to violate the law. And like Adam and Eve, Daniel did so of his own free will. The law that had been signed or stamped with the king's seal, it had a consequence and that consequence was death. Death by the way of lions. Darius the king loved Daniel and he did not want to see him die. So the challenge for Darius was to remove the consequence of the law. But of course, he did not ultimately do that. In contrast, each of us, you know, Paul says it this way, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mankind Every man, every woman has violated God's moral law. And it is a serious offense. And every law, every law of God has a sanction, a consequence to emphasize the seriousness of the offense. And that sanction is death, spiritual death, separation from God of all eternity. We live in a culture where people want to deny responsibility. We live in a culture that turns the law upside down. Instead of good being rewarded, good is punished. It seems every week there's a story in the news about a good citizen saying something wrong going on and intervening, but instead of the criminal paying the price, it is the righteous man or the righteous woman who intervened to do good. They pay the price or they're charged with the crime. And so we, we live in a culture that denies responsibility. We live in a culture that denies the law and denies consequences. But the Bible speaks of this these times, that there is coming an antichrist. And there are, in fact, many antichrists. And the Bible refers to the antichrist as a man of lawlessness. So it should not surprise us that we live in lawlessness. Times. The law has a consequence. 
that underscores the seriousness of the offense. And in terms of us violating the law of God, God loves us. He does not want to see us die. So the challenge for Father God was to remove the consequence of death from those he loved. God's challenge was to find a way to uphold his law. He's just, and for Father God to be just to his moral government in providing an effective deterrent for sin, it, that solution, whatever it is, cannot weaken God's moral government when a pardon is given. God's moral law is for the good of all and not just a few. Darius was bound to uphold the law. Look at Daniel 6, verse 12. They went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who praised any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So Darius was bound to uphold the law. And Daniel, as we see, he violated that law of his own free will. And Darius, to the best for someone of the day and age, attempted to be a good king. He desired to show favoritism to Daniel, but he could not show favoritism and still be just. If he pardoned Daniel, then the law, the consequence of the law would be eliminated. And every time that happens, the effect of the law is weakened. In the same way, Father God is bound to uphold his law. Deuteronomy 24, verse 16 says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their fathers. Each is to die for his own sin. Now, I mentioned that just being born in Texas or the Bible Belt doesn't make someone a believer. In the same way, we had a baby dedication today. Just being born into a Christian family does not make someone a Christian. Growing up in church does not make someone a Christian. Each of us is responsible before Father God. And there's coming a day when every man, every woman, every boy and girl will have to give an account for their lives. Ezekiel 18, verse 20, the soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share in the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against him. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's a consequence. And if you do away with the consequences, the law becomes meaningless. It becomes impotent. So mankind, humankind, has violated the law of God of our own free will. But Father God is good and he's wonderful, he's loving, and he desired to extend mercy. But how could he do that and still be just? Acts 10.34 tells us that God is no respecter of persons. If God had simply pardoned and forgiven us, he would have weakened the enforcement of his law. So the challenge for Father God was to find a way to extend mercy to each of us without weakening his law. His laws are not like the capricious laws of men or the law of Darius. Father God's laws are for our own good. You know, there, there are so many complaints, and it breaks my heart, complaints even in the church world about the law of God. 
You know, we often think of just the Old Testament being law, but it is all the law of God. And we're going to be judged according to that book. We're going to have to give an account according to that book. And I know among us we have many parents, and as I, I said, we're all attempting to do a better job than the previous generation, amen? We're all learning, we're all, we're all growing. You know, uh, there's never a day where, where Jessica and I think that we, we we're perfect as parents or we're perfect in all that we do. We're always learning, we're always growing, we're always, we're always improving. Father God, every law he's given in his word is for our good. In your home, every rule you have should be for the good of your children and the good of your home and the love and the peace of your home. Well, that's our intent, but we're not perfect in that. But Father God is perfect. And every law he has given us is for our own good. Deuteronomy 10, beginning in verse 12 says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Why don't we say that? Say, for my own good. And we live in a culture that wants to deny the word of God. We live in a culture that wants to deny the law of God. But turn that around and realize that every command, every law is for our good. And instead of being offended by that, instead of rebelling against that, if we embrace the law of God, if we embrace the word of God, if we then live our lives accordingly, we make things easier, not harder. We smooth the way to experience God's best in every area of life. Just think about what's going on in the culture and the lies and the mendacity and the denial. It's June, but all the denial that that requires, denying whether someone was born as a boy or a girl. People head down that road. It does not lead to life. It does not lead to peace. It leads to trouble. So instead of being offended by the law, realize it's for your good. Say, say for my good. Every human law must have consequences or it's only advice. You know, as a parent, you have to follow through. You know, if you say, if you do that one more time and you name the consequence, then you have to follow through. And I, I know they must practice in children's church or maybe they practice with their friends, you know, looking at you, you know, like, like one of those commercials and the little tear in their eye. Don't you want to show mercy? I'm not saying it's easy, but for the rules to have effect, there have to be consequences. But if you don't follow through on the consequences, the, the repercussion is then the kids won't follow the rules. And we've all been there. We, we want to make an exception. We want to do away with the consequence. But when we make an exception or do away with the consequence, it doesn't fix the problem. It leads to more trouble down the road. Darius wanted to extend mercy. Verse 14, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. But to extend mercy weakens the law. 
Every time the penalty is enforced, the law is strengthened and moral government is strengthened. But every time mercy is extended, justice suffers. Unless there is a method of blending together mercy and justice. So Darius wanted to get Daniel out of the situation, but he hoped for the best, but left the law in place, and Daniel went into the lion's den. But praise God, his God, our God, my God, saved him. And you know the rest of the story. Those that plotted and conspired against Daniel, they and their families were thrown into the lion's den. Darius flunked the test, but praise God, our wonderful Heavenly Father did not flunk the test. His law is law, not mere advice. Therefore, God's law has consequences. God loved us, and he wanted to extend mercy to every one of us. But to extend mercy weakens the law. But our Heavenly Father discovered the perfect solution, the answer, and his name is Jesus. C.S. Lewis wrote, it costs God nothing to, so far as we know to create nice things, but to convert rebellious wills cost him crucifixion. The solution of Father God was to go into the lion's den himself on our behalf. And his name is Jesus. Darius, on the other hand, sent Daniel to the lion's den. Darius loved Daniel, but not that much to go in Daniel's place. Verse 16, so the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. And praise God, he did. But praise God, we, our heavenly father is perfect. He is wonderful. And he sent his son Jesus on our behalf. And that, that's part of the message of this, this 50 years. You know, so much of the Christian world out there is, you know, well, if, if you serve God, you know, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be hard. Jesus paid the price on your behalf. Jesus paid the price on my behalf. And that's part of the good news. And yes, Daniel, in being faithful and not compromising, ended up in the lion's den. But even in the midst of that, there's good news. The lions did not eat him. He was divinely protected. And so in the midst of it all, we and our families are divinely protected. God, Father God, he took our place through his son, Jesus Christ. And his son, who was without sin, he took our place. He paid the price for our sins. He suffered and he died on our behalf. He went to hell on our behalf. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes upon him will not perish but have eternal life. So Father God, through his son Jesus Christ, went into the lion's den on our behalf. He was put to death on our behalf. He went to hell on our behalf. He paid the price you and I deserve to pay on our behalf. That's the gospel. And if you reject what Jesus did for you, there's no other way to be saved. There's no other way to escape 
the punishment that you deserve for violating the moral law of God. The death of Christ satisfied the need for justice. The death of Christ demonstrated the seriousness of sin and rebellion. The death of Christ demonstrated the fact that all willful violation of the laws of God will be punished. The death of Christ put to shame unrepentant sinners. The death of Christ also became a roadblock to further sin. There, there's a message out there that would lead us to believe that grace means we just live however we want, that we can live just like the world. That, that's nonsense. Father God paid the ultimate price on our behalf, which was his son paying the price on our behalf. That is costly. And if it is to have effect in my life, then I have to live accordingly. As Paul says, our lives are not our own. We were bought with a price. What does he say next? Y'all know it? So honor God with your body. See, we live in a culture that says you can do whatever you want with your body and there, there won't be a price to be paid. There will, both in this life and in the life to come. So in Christ, our lives are no longer our own. But this is a roadblock. Jesus himself said, quoting Isaiah, it is a stumbling block. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. But unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Yes, our preaching of the word of God is foolishness to the lost. For all of eternity, Jesus will bear in his resurrected body the marks of his suffering. His death revealed the moral character of God. The death of Christ opened the door to our full restoration and fellowship. Our heavenly father is love and he is merciful and he freely forgives sinners who repent. He is also righteous, and he does not tolerate sin or rebellion. So we live in confusing times. And so because of what you grew up with at home, you may be under the mistaken notion that there are no consequences. And because of the culture out there in this world or where you work, you may think that there are no consequences. And because of this wicked culture, you might think there are no consequences. There are consequences. And even if mom and dad give you a pass, and even if your boss gives you a pass, and even if this culture gives you a pass, the moment this life comes to an end, the moment you breathe your last physical breath, the moment your spirit, the real you, enters into eternity, you're going to come into the reality of the law of God. And there is heaven and there is hell. Why is there hell? Because God is just and a price must be paid. And justice requires consequences. So if you're a good mom and dad, if you're a good father, what are you gonna have in your home and with your rules? You're gonna have consequences. Not because you hate your children, but because you love them. And because you not only want them to have a good life, you want them to spend eternity in the city of God. Man cannot justify rebellion by claiming that God is vindictive. Father God is merciful. He's willing to forgive. The Bible says that if we call upon the name of the Lord, 
we will be saved. The death of Christ has provided the means for our complete redemption. That is the power of God over sin. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There is no salvation and forgiveness, however, without the transformation of character. Repentance and change. Repentance and a new life. Repentance and a new attitude. Repentance and new behavior. Repentance and new character. Malcolm Mugridge wrote, I have never wanted a God or feared a God or felt any necessity to invent one. Unfortunately, I am driven to the conclusion, God wants me. Why don't we say this, say, oh, how he loves me. He did all that he did for us. Jesus did all that he did for us. That's the love of Father God. And so we have to treat that as a costly thing, as a precious thing. C.S. Lewis wrote, God became a man to turn creatures into sons. That's part of the good news of not just a half gospel, but a full gospel. We're not the servants of God. We're the sons and daughters of Almighty God with the full rights, benefits, and privileges thereof. C.S. Lewis wrote, God became a man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind. See, I'm not just a little bit better than what I was. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that's why growing up in church is not enough. You have to repent of your sins and ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. C.S. Lewis wrote, God became a man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. And that is who we are in Christ. That's why John writes in 1 John 3 and verse 2, now we are the children of God. Sinful fallen man may not want to know God, but man needs God for his own fulfillment. God loves us deeply. He wants us to have the abundant life, and so he woos us, he draws us back into himself. That's why Paul wrote that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he does take pleasure in forgiving us of our sins. He takes pleasure in rewarding us and prospering us and blessing us. So now you know. Everyone here knows. And that is why the Bible says that men, mankind, men and women are without excuse. There is no forgiveness of sins for those who reject what Jesus did on our behalf. Some people have trouble with this today. Our society has been infected by liberalism. Liberals want to be merciful to murderers or rapists or kidnappers or child molesters, and they want to be merciful by setting them free into society, into the general population where statistics show what do they inevitably do again? Murder, rape, kidnap, mess with children, and this offends people. Might say, Pastor Austin, what does the Bible say about kidnappers? The Bible says kidnappers should be put to death. And when you have a society that has the willingness to enforce the consequences, then what do you have? You have 
less kidnapping. We live in days when wicked men rule. We live in lawless days. And unfortunately, I have to tell you, the days are going to get more lawless. So in your home, in your family, you have to raise the banner of righteousness. And yes, it breaks my heart that even going to the store, even going to Sam's, even going to lunch, that now we have to explain and talk to things about our children we shouldn't have had to talk to them about until they were 25 or older. We're to let our light shine. We're to be salt and light in the days in which we live. We're to love the Lord. We're to love each other. We're to love our children. And we're to put the consequences in the hands of God. You might say, Austin, what if persecution comes? What if someone gets thrown into the lion's den? Then you say what Daniel said. Or you say what his friend said earlier. Our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow the knee. We will not compromise will do what's right. And why? Because there's a day coming in each of our lives when this life will come to an end and we'll stand before Father God and we'll give an account. And somebody might have spent their entire life believing there are no consequences, there is no justice, there is no law, there is no lawgiver. But when this life comes to an end, that very moment, you'll realize there is justice. There is law. There is a lawgiver. But the good news is, he is loving, he is merciful, he's kind. And instead of bowing your knee to this wicked world, I plead with you, bow your knee to the living God. And that's how you will find your salvation. And true life, eternal life. Please bow your heads. You might be here today, perhaps you have, this is all new to you, never heard about God, never heard about Jesus Christ, never heard about the justice of God and the love of God, the mercy of God. Maybe you've grown up in church your entire life. Whatever the case, the Bible is clear, there is one way for us to be saved, there is one name by which we can be saved, and his name is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You might be here today and say, Austin, I, I've never given my life to God. I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, but I want to. I want to be a part of the family of God. That's you this morning, wherever you're seated, raise your hand, or I'll see it and I'll know. You'd like me to pray with you? Everyone has heads bowed, eyes closed. People are for you. You say, Austin, pray with me. I want to be a part of the family of God. Raise your hand to where I can see it. You might also be here today and at a time in your life, you prayed a prayer, you, you walked in out. Maybe you're here at church. Maybe you're here at church occasionally. Maybe you're going through the motions, whatever it is. But you know you have not really lived your life submitted to God. You know you've not really lived your life submitted to his word. 
You've been doing your own thing and you know in your heart you're not right with God. The Bible says the mercies of God are new every morning. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here today and say, Austin, that's me, pray with me. I want to recommit my life. I want to make things right with the Lord before I go today. If that's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand where I'll sit, I'll know you'd like me to pray with you. You might be watching or listening online now or later, say, Austin, pray with me. Repeat this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I repent of my sins. And I ask Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. I believe Jesus paid the price for me and for my sins. I believe he suffered and died on my behalf. And I believe that from this day forward, he will live in me. Father God, I submit my life to you. I submit my life to your word. I'm going to live for you. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. You might say, wow, what a different message for Father's Day Sunday. There have to be laws. There have to be consequences. And in our, our homes, we don't do our children a service by modeling the wrong things. We have to model the right things. And so in the home, the Christian home, there have to be laws. They should be just, amen. We've preached plenty of times on you just can't have rules and no blessings. So you have to have law, but it has to be just, amen. Out here in the world, they reward wicked things. But in our homes, the Christian home, we should reward righteousness. We should reward what's right. And in the Christian home and family, there have to be consequences. So even though our children grow up in a lawless time and they see all this lawlessness, they know that in home and with God, there's law, there's order, and there's justice. Because we're preparing them not just for this world, we're preparing them for eternity.